We've been doing a series um, called Spirit Led, and and um, and then kind of in the context of fasting, you think that's a funny mix. And then Pastor Sam kind of went to the the kind of go-to passage and realised, oh, it all kind of fits together. And one of the things I love about Scripture is it can provide a map that makes sense of our experience and a whole lot of factors. Is like, oh. I was confused, I didn't understand what was happening, and now, now I see how that all kind of fits together. And so, in the con- like, why are we fasting and doing a course on the uh, a series on the Spirit and believing for breakthrough and go, it actually is kind of biblical that that all fits together. And it comes from this passage. So it says this, Jesus, full of the Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. It's like, hold on, hold on. I thought God just takes us into... Good things. It's like, no, there are times that he leads us, allows us to be in these seasons where, where something is going down, something's being sorted out in our lives. And to be clear, it says where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil, that the devil has an agenda in those difficult seasons, which is to take you out. But God allows it because in those seasons, God can establish something that couldn't be established any other time. You make decisions in those places which birth something in your life, which puts something deep down in your life, which couldn't happen any other time. And it's like, oh, so, so the Spirit leads us into this place. But then the whole point is, at the end of them, he's hungry. Verse 14, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. Oh, the wilderness was never his destination. The wilderness was his training ground, was his preparation. And the victories he won in a secret place in the wilderness is what set him up for his public victory and triumph. And so, and so there's this kind of whole biblical thing between wilderness and promised land, wilderness and promised land, God allows us the Spirit to lead us into this place where we find a breakthrough that propels us into our destiny, into our promise. And it's like, hold on, that kind of helps me navigate some stuff, why, why, we'd, be, why we'd be fasting in this time, because it's like, God, we're believing for things to shift. See, if there's no hope, there's no point fasting. We fast because we believe that this isn't as good as it gets. That we, we might be here now and God's doing stuff, but the wilderness is not my destination. The promised land is my destination, but God does some stuff in the wilderness. And, it, and it's like, I just feel like tonight, there's just some new beginnings for people. There's God wants to birth some stuff where, where maybe we've got stuck in a wilderness place. Uh, and um, a few weeks ago, I shared with the church staff a theme around this thing that God's calling us to step out of the grave, remove the grave clothes, and it's a new season. And Pastor Matt said, oh, you should share that with some other people. So I thought, okay, we'll do it now. So I, I want to I unpack this a bit around this idea that God, God allows us to be in certain seasons. And, I, and, I'm not, and I'm not sugarcoating them. The devil has an agenda to take you out in that season. The devil is not a nice guy. The devil hates you and your future and your purpose and your freedom and your destiny. But God allows it because if you could triumph over those things, it establishes the very foundations which are going to propel you. I mean, it must annoy the devil so much that everything he throws at you, if you don't give, if you don't, if you don't surrender and to it and come under it, God just uses it to accelerate your development to prepare you to launch into a greater new season. And I want to say tonight, look, come on, there's some new beginnings for some people. As you step out of that, like Jesus, because that's the other thing. Oh, I jumped over it, but um, 
Verse 2, for 40 days. It's like, there's a set time. In the Bible, 40 is always the time of testing. It's like, yeah, God allows us to go into those seasons, but we're not supposed to live there too long. Some of us have been living in these places too long. We've settled there. We've given up there. We've resigned. We're like, this is as good as get. I'm just going to camp here. No, no, it's a season of testing to prepare you for your season of promise. And so some of us need to kind of go, hey, it's time to come out of that season And that's why we're fasting. It's like, God, I refuse to accept that the status quo is as good as it gets. I believe there's a breakthrough coming. I believe there's a door into my destiny and a door into my future. So speaking that, many of you would know this book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe from C.S. Lewis, because we've done Christmas productions about it, and you know, the story of um, Aslan and Narnia and all that kind of stuff. But there's kind of a broader context to that. The whole story, which is, it's said in uh, London during the Second World War when, because of the bombing in London, they sent children out to rural homes. And so these four children are sent to live with this old professor. And if you know the story, one day one of the girls walks through this wardrobe and kind of finds her way through some musty old clothes and things and suddenly steps into this whole other world of Aslan and Narnia and spiritual battles and triumph. And actually in that realm, they're actually kings and queens of another realm. And and I think it's a beautiful picture that, that God is not a God that just leaves us where we are, but God is a God of breakthrough. God is a God of trip. You are one you are one wardrobe away from stepping into your promise. You know, Joseph in the Bible is in a prison for, uh, and suffering for 13 years. One day, one king's dream, he suddenly is the prime minister of the known world. You know, David is a shepherd, even ignored by his family. In one moment, suddenly he's anointed king of Israel. And, and we need to understand God is a God who leads us through doorways into new realities into new promises. And so we don't want to settle for where we are, but we also don't want to get lost in the middle of the wardrobe and kind of sit down and camp there. And I pray even tonight that God leads you through into a new reality. That's why we're fasting. That's why we're emphasizing where's the Spirit leading, because God is a God who leads us into new seasons, into new beginnings, into new realities. And it all happened through walking through a one door into a new reality. And I want to tell you, God opens doors into new realities. God is able to birth something new in your world tonight, because that's the kind of God that he is. You know, there's a psalm in, in Scripture that shows when Israel went through this kind of experience. And it just says, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. It's like we almost had to pinch ourselves because we got so used to living in this difficult season. When it all turned, when it all changed, when it all came together, it was like, like, am I dreaming? Like maybe I lived for so long feeling alone or whatever that I actually belong. I lived so long under this cloud of inferiority that I actually feel confident now. It's like if I look back on my past, it's, it's like I wouldn't, if you had told me a few years ago that oh, this would be my reality, I would have laughed at you. I couldn't have dreamed it could be like that. But we serve a God of miracles. We serve a God of much more. We serve a God that if you look and if you could see yourself in five years, that you would look back and go, uh, am I dreaming? 
because God has done good things in my life. You know, and I love the kind of theme, verse 2, it's, a, it's marked by laughter and joy. It's like, this is a season when I've, things that I hoped for, things that I dreamed of, things I could barely believe that actually happening. I'm so excited. And I want to encourage you to dare to dream again because God is a God who walks us through doors into new reality. Because we're so trapped by our mindsets, by the strongholds, that we can't see that. Come on, something has changed for you. Can't you see it? Like, we see it. God is doing extraordinary things. We believe in you. That's why I love the culture of equippers that we champion each other on. Because sometimes it takes our self-image a while to catch up with what God is doing. And we need some people to stand around us and say, you're better than you could have even imagined. You've got purpose on your life. You've got significance on you. You've got a calling on your life. And, and, until we can start to echo that in life. Yeah, God has done great things in my life. Uh, and um, it was, it's interesting in this passage because verse 1, when the Lord restored our fortunes, we were like those who dreamed. So past tense, when he did it. And then verse 4, it's like restore our fortunes. It's like, oh, I thought he had restored them. Here's the point. Things happen in cycles, and God does great things, and we step into destiny. But I tell you what, God's always leading us on, so there'll be, you'll find another point where you need another breakthrough. You'll, find, you'll reach another point where you need another doorway into a new reality. But here's the difference. When you've seen God do it before, you've got confidence now that he can do it again. God, I've seen you transform my life. God, I, so I have faith in this moment that this is not my destination. This is not, I don't have to see this. Because there was a time when I thought I was dreaming because of what God did. God, I need you to do that again. And I'm actually confident that you could do it again. Um, Pastor Matt got some of the staff to share some of this stuff on Tuesday. And, and my wife was there and she was... Uh, she was sharing some stories of when we lived in the Philippines, and I was like, oh, I'd forgotten about that. But she's like, no, no, we, we saw God do things. So at the time, there was no power, there was no water, little babies, we ran out of water, and I was like, i got just got to head out the door with a bucket and go and find some wa- water. And, but she remembers, like, someone felt sorry for me, gave me some water. She remembers that God came through when she was a mum with a little toddler, and there was literally no water in a very hot city and God looked after us. She remembered times we ran out of money and, 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 gave, and had lunch with a plate of rice and a couple of sardines and said, God, thank you for this food. We needed you to come through in the next five hours before the next meal because we got no money, we got no food, and nobody knows we're in this position. And he did. And it's like when you've seen God restore your fortunes, God, that's why in the Bible, so often they say, remember the deeds, remember what God's done, because when you've seen him do it before, you have faith that he can do it again. And it's like, God, restore our fortunes again. I refuse to accept that the hole that I'm currently in is where I'm going to stay. I refuse to make peace with that because I've seen you do it before. I know you can do it again. You're a God of breakthrough. I'm one wardrobe door away from stepping into a new reality. And you can open that. You know, and so verse 5 and 6 to realize these are actually incredible statements of faith. 
Those who sow with tears, think about that, a field that's been plowed, there's nothing there. In, in a natural way, you could look at barrenness, but he's, if you, no, no, now I look back, I was just sowing stuff for a future harvest, and I'm confident that those who sow with tears will reap with songs with joy. Yeah, there's a season where, where this is hard and there's not much around, but everything, I'm, I'm sowing, and I'm confident that one day I'm going to see a harvest. One day I'm going to reap what's happened. There's going to be a change coming. And I love the um, verse 6. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. Those are whole bundles of like wheat or something. And this image like, right now, man, there's nothing there and it's hard. But I am totally confident. I can see in the spirit myself just almost straining to carry the harvest of good things that God is going to bring my way. He's done it before, he's going to do it again. If I haven't seen it yet, it's on its way. And, and it's just a great psalm, a similar psalm, Psalm 23, famous psalm. You know, even though I walk through the darkest valley, it's yeah, following this path of God, it's not all going to be wonderful. Sometimes I am going to walk through some valleys, but there's the point, I'm going to walk through them. I'm going to walk through them and out the other side. I'm not going to get so hurt, so disappointed and surrender and give up and, well, God let me down. He failed. No, I might be in this place, but I'm walking through it and I'm confident that there's something. I'm confident that he's about to birth something better on the other side of this reality. And even in the midst of it, I'm confident that he's going to look after me. It's like, God, I'm in this space. Uh, you're, going to, you're here with me, but this is not my destination. And you're going to walk me through this out the other side. You know, I love where, because this is his confidence. And said before, you know, this psalm, there's no please, P-L-E-A, to God. It's all just statements of confidence. You prepare a table for me. If there's not a table yet, you're preparing it. God, there's nothing there yet, but you're preparing. This is not a sign that you've given up. This is not a sign. You're preparing something, and I'm headed towards it because I know the kind of God you are. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Verse 6 is an extraordinary verse. Surely, like absolutely, totally confidently, everything about my experience tells me this is true. Your goodness and love will follow me. In Hebrew, that's a word like an army is pursuing someone to hunt them down, to kill them. And it's like, yeah, there's this force that's hunting me down. It's called God's love and mercy. If, I, if it's not there yet, they're on their way. They're an unstoppable force. They're going to get to me one day. Some of us are like, oh, this generational curse just pursues me. Everywhere I go, things fail, relationships fail, businesses fail. No, we need a transformation. No, the thing that's hunting you down is called God's love and mercy. The thing you can't get away from is God's love and mercy. I might be in a hole right now, but God's love and mercy is hunting me down. I might be struggling with something right now, but God's love and mercy is hunting me down, and it's going to catch up to me one day because I can't get away from those things. Because he's with me. You know, the whole context of this, no, he's my shepherd. He guides me along the path. I'm spirit-led. If, if walking with God has led me into this hole currently, this is not my destination. And that's why we fast. Fasting is not an expression of desperation, like having a little tantrum with God. Fasting is actually an expression of confidence. My breakthrough is on its way. My situation is going to change. That wardrobe door is going to open and I'm going to walk into a new reality. 
I refuse to camp here. I refuse to accept that this is good as it gets. God, because your mercy and love are hunting me down. Psalm 84 is a similar kind of thought. Again, verse 6, as they pass through the valley of Baca, that's a valley of tears. You, hey, i got bad news for you. You will pass through some valleys of tears. But you pass through them. You don't let bitterness get in your spirit. You don't let hurt get in your spirit. You don't get, let disappointment get in your spirit. You pass through the valley of tears. And in fact, they make it a place of springs. It's like in this difficult place, I wrestled with something and I found a source of life-giving water in that place, the most unexpected place. Something happened. That's what the wilderness is in that place of barrenness and dryness. You dig a well to some uh, source of life-giving water that you never knew was there before. When everything's taken away from me, yeah, but I worship you, God, not wealth. When every people have disappointed you, yeah, but God, you're my defender, you're my rock, not what people think of me. You dig a well and find life-giving water. That's why he's led you into that place. That's why he's, a, don't, don't underestimate, the devil wants, you to, wants to destroy you in that place, but God wants you to dig a well that you find something there that sets you up to step into your promised land, that sets you up to achieve the thing that you've been dreaming for. It's kind of how God works. He allows the wilderness time to let the roots go down deep into something because you're going to need that depth of roots to sustain the growth and the harvest that's going to come in the promised land season. You didn't get that. If you're going to be strong enough to sustain everything that God's got for you, he allows seasons when the roots go down into a deeper place to hold you firm for the promise. His, his point is never the wilderness. His world, the wilderness is a setup for your blessing. It's a preparation for your blessing. And so, so verse 5, it's a key. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. Similar thing. God, my, I've set my heart on this. I'm going forward. I haven't allowed bitterness, disappointment to get into my heart. I've set my heart on pilgrimage. I don't understand how I got in this place, but I'm going through it to the other side. I don't understand why this is happening, but I'm going to find something here that propels me into my future. I've set my heart on new beginnings, on purpose, on new destiny, on new promises. I've decided to do that. And because of that, verse 7, they go from strength to strength. The devil's like, I want to knock you down. But, but God's like, yeah, but I want you to discover at every point a new strength. So that when you come out of that wilderness, like you come back in the power of the Holy Spirit. Because you found something in that place that becomes an unstoppable force in your life. You know, the whole context of this is, the whole the psalm is, how lovely is your dwelling place? And like, verse even a sparrow is found at home. It's like, I know my home. My home is in the presence of God. I might have to pass through a valley, but I'm not going to make that my home. I'm not going to settle and go, well, this is my lot. No, no, my home is in the blessing of God. My home is in the purpose of God. I may have to go through some things to get there, but I know where my home is. I'm not going to dwell I'm not going to dwell somewhere less than God's purpose for me. I'm going to, if, if I'm in a situation that's less than that, yeah, I'm going to pass through it. I'm going to turn it into springs. I'm going to discover God's strength. But ultimately at this, blessed are those who dwell in your house. God, I'm not going to settle for less 
than your promises. God, there are prophecies that you spoke. I haven't seen them yet, but God, I'm not going to give up on them. God, I'm not going to settle for less than what I know you have for me. I'm going to allow you to birth new dreams, new hopes, new realities in my life. The Bible plays off this thing, wilderness, promised land. Wilderness is the place of testing that sets you up to then occupy the promised land. Some writers in spirituality have kind of widened that out and picked up the kind of the metaphor, the image of the whole kind of four seasons thing. That our life, we actually go through different seasons of God. There's kind of springtime at the top where everything's new and fresh life and it's all vibrant and it's wonderful and then transitioned into summer where there's actually the full harvest and production but maybe sometimes some hard work and then autumn when you're kind of sending out the seeds and stuff but there's also the kind of the the burden of the season starts to show in the toxins and there's kind of a, a wilting and a preparation for a season of winter and then winter season is like everything stripped away Everything's back to basics. Um, I'm not into gardening, but my wife's into gardening. Like, remember when we bought a house in Christchurch? It's like, oh, what are you going to do with the garden? She's like, oh, we'll just wait for spring and see what emerges. And it's like, yeah, winter is like anything you try, nothing works. Everything dies. Anyone, I won't ask you to lay for the hand, but we've, that's called the wilderness season. That's called the winter. God allows those seasons in our lives where everything's stripped back. But the purpose is not to live in winter. The purpose is to let the roots go down and strengthen things that sets you up for the next springtime when everything starts springing up again. And like in winter, every, nothing that you try works. Everything dies. But in spring, it's like, I can't even keep up with the stuff that's springing up. It's just, I don't, I don't even have to try. There's plants growing everywhere. And I was thinking, talking about this, um, we, in our 20s, we were kind of really passionate about mission and went overseas and did stuff. And then there was a point, God called us back to New Zealand. And I was like, and it's like something died. And I was like, I don't understand God. That, I, that was you. And I tried some different things and nothing worked. And people would prophesy over me like, one day you're going to go to all these nations. And I'd just cry. Like, I just, it's impossible. Nothing, nothing happens. And then suddenly now it's like, there's too much happening. My wife sat me down a couple of weeks ago and going, we're not going to do this next year. You're way too much. And it's like, that's what spring looks like. Suddenly there's, too, there's stuff springing up everywhere. And, and part of the wisdom of spring is you actually thin out crops so that a, the, like carrots and stuff, so that the, some can produce a full harvest. But, but here's my point. There's a whole different spirituality for different seasons. There's a whole way of operating, a whole way of living, a whole faith, you know, to kind of... Um, it stopped. I don't know what happened there. I'll try one. I mean, to this um, kind of a sense of the same life, but different seasons. And it's like, I need to adjust to these seasons. I like this picture because it's cyclical. And do you know what I've observed over a long period of time? I reckon the hardest transition to navigate psychologically and spiritually is the season from winter to spring. And the reason is this, in winter you learn just to batten down the hatches Hunker down, not get your expectations up, not try anything because it's not going to work, not to hope for too much. And it's hard to get a shift into a season of spiritual springtime 
when it's almost like everything starts springing up. <laughs> Life starts emerging, and I actually, stuff happens. And I could have a confident expectation that stuff, if I try anything, it's going to work. If I start anything, it's going to grow. If I, if I step out and do something, it's going to flourish. In fact, my biggest problem is going to be keeping up with everything that's growing. Do you see the massive difference? In winter, nothing works. In spring, everything's taken off. And the hard thing is for our heart to allow ourselves to shift seasons. Because we've learned to not get our hopes up in the winter season because we know we'll get hurt. And it's hard to shift and expect, I'm going to see God's breakthrough. I'm going to see success. Stuff I try is going to work. My biggest problem is going to be choosing which things I run with because there's going to be so much happening. I'm not going to be able to keep up. I believe that there's some people here tonight, God's inviting you to allow him to lead you into some new beginnings. But it can be a quite a bit scary to step out and go, I think the season's changed. Because I changed my expectations. And if it's not changed, I'm going to get hurt again. But if the season has changed, I'm going to have to rethink how I do this whole thing. There's a couple of passages, a couple of images that I think are helpful in managing this transition. God wants to birth something new, but we have to know how to cooperate with the new season. So this is an image, famous image from Daniel when the king Nebuchadnezzar, uh, these three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were thrown into the fire, and God tested them. They're like, well, God's able to deliver us, but even if he doesn't, uh, we'll only worship him. See, God, God establishes things in the fire, and Jesus was there with them in the fire. But there came a point at the end of verse 26, Nebuchadnezzar says, come out. And there's a point at which the king goes, yeah, there's been a season of fire, but the season is over. Come out of the fire. And I think some of you, God uh, says Nebuchadnezzar then approached. God is approaching some of you and he's going, you've been in the fire, but I'm, now, I'm calling you out of the fire. It was for a season. Fire in the Bible is used to burn away the wood and hay and stubble and to purify the gold. But it's for a season. You weren't created for the fire. You passed through the fire. And some of us, God's saying, come out. It's time to come out of the fire. You've been in a season of fire where I was burning, I was refining, I was burning away the extra. But now it's time to come out of the fire. And the beautiful thing that's famous about this passage, fourth line from the bottom, they saw the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their head singed. Their robes were not scorched, and this is them, and there was no smell of fire on them. You see, we'll all, we'll all go through seasons of fire. And some people allow it to, we allow God to refine us, we allow God to burn away stuff, but then we walk out, and some of us always smell of the fire. Kind of attitudes, just a cynicism, a bit of something that just, we smell of the fire. It's like, no, you don't want to carry the smell of the fire into your new season. 
What you want is for people to look at you and when they hear what you've been through, they're like, oh my goodness, you'd, you'd never know. Because there's no smell of the fire. And it's like, you don't want to carry the smell of the... Some of you have been through some stuff. I want to tell you, God wants you to, in a new season of something new. And sometimes there's some of us that just have this awkwardness because we feel like other people still smell it on us. And we need to, again, we need to be the ones who tell you, no, no, actually you carry the aroma of Christ. It's a lie of the enemy that everyone can tell what happened to you. Come out of the fire and come out not carrying the smell of the fire. The other image that's even more powerful is in John chapter 11, uh, which is the story of Jesus and Lazarus. So Lazarus with Jesus' friend, Lazarus dies, he's buried, and Jesus arrives four days later. And it just says, Jesus once more deeply moved. Now, I didn't comment on that at the 3.30, but I felt the compassion of Jesus is moved by the places where it's not just you've been burnt, something actually died. Jesus just doesn't approach you in the fire. He approaches the part of you that's in a tomb and died. That, that childhood naivety, that, that purity, that dream, that positivity, that openness, that just died somewhere. Jesus walks with great compassion to the place that you're not just burning, you actually died. And, and he's like... Verse 39, take away the stone. And the, the sister's like, but Lord, by this time there's a bad odor. It's like, no, no, we, we don't want to expose that. We want to cover it because it there's a part of me that just, it's, it smells bad in there. So much hurt, so much disappointment, so many bad decisions. God, you don't want to expose that. But he doesn't expose it to shame you. He exposes it. To restore you. I want to tell you, for some people, there's a moment of new beginnings right now for some people. It's not just you're in the fire struggling, you're in the tomb and something died. You know, and, and the translations are a bit funny with this, you know, the old King James, Lord, by this time he stinketh. Another one, there is a stench, for he has been dead four days. Another one, the smell will be terrible. It's like, oh, I don't want people to know about that. But I want to tell you, it's okay. Because Jesus is there. Jesus rolls away the, st the stone in front of tombs. And there's freedom. And then, he, and then he just says this, down in verse 43. Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Now, it's one thing, it's already supernatural for a king to be looking at some people standing in a fire, saying, come out. It's next level to be standing in front of a tomb and say, walk out of that place you didn't just think you were burned you thought it was dead you thought it was all over 
But in his compassion, Jesus calls us out of places of death, places of dreams that died, places of uh, where relationships died, trust died, hope died, destiny died, future died, purpose died. And he walks and he approaches you and he just calls you by name and he says, come out of that place. Walk out of there. Because I'm the God who brings springtime. I'm the God who brings new life. And you're not trapped by your past season. You're not trapped by your past. You're not limited by your experience. Because I can walk you through a door into a new world. I can change the season overnight. And when yesterday nothing I worked tried... Today, life is springing up all around me. Today, there's new beginnings all around me. Man, I love that we're in the business of hope and new life.